Welcome to episode 45 of Virtual, my name is Mike Hurley. The music you've just heard is a piece composed by Hip Tanaka in tribute to Satoru Iwata. This week we were shocked to learn that Iwata-san, the president of Nintendo Japan and CEO of Nintendo of America, passed away due to a cancerous growth on his bile duct. Today we're going to talk a little bit about this great man, and I'm joined to do that as always by Federico Vitici. Hey Mike. How you doing buddy? I'm doing well. It's a, It's been a sad week mm-hmm. for, not just for Nintendo fans, but for the video game industry as a whole. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was really shocked. I mean, we, we all were really shocked to, to hear about Iwata's passing. And you texted me uh, a few days ago. I, I was just on my way home from, from a night out with friends. And as soon as I arrived home, you texted me and, and you told me... Iwata passed this, you know, died. Mm-hmm. And it was really a shock to me. And I, that very moment, I felt exactly the way that I felt when Steve Jobs died. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember clearly for Steve Jobs, I was on Twitter on my MacBook. And at one point I, I saw the a tweet from maybe ABC News or ABC News or maybe uh, AP, the, the Associated Press, and like in that very moment, it was just a second, you know, seeing a tweet is just a, two seconds, but like it felt like several minutes. And when I saw your message, it was just a second, but it felt like, like all those memories about Iwata and Nintendo and me growing up and, and ha- having Iwata as a, as a sort of a hero, it, it felt like a really long moment. And I'm, I'm just sad. I, I was devastated when I heard and... And it was both shocking and incredible to see Twitter light up with, you know, tributes and memories and tweets and people just being sad, but also happy about what Iwata accomplished in his life. And and it was even more amazing to see the reactions of the entire video game industry from Sony, from Microsoft, from, from video game makers, from developers, designers, video game fans and magazines and websites, everybody. Because, you know, uh, I think when, 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 famous people, when famous people die, they're kind of like, they're kind of like city streets. They're kind of like monuments and they're always there and you feel and you feel comfortable thinking that they're there because they give you a sense of security. You know, they, they, knowing that a person that you don't know, but that you also know in a way is there, makes you feel like what you know about life and maybe what you know about a specific interest is still safe and true. And so all the memories that you have are safe. And when a famous person dies, I mean, you're sad, but you're not, you're not just sad about that person at a very human level. I mean, of course you're sad about the person, their family and their friends and colleagues, but it's also like like a part of you dies in a way. And not in the physical sense, of course, but in, you know, a part of your memories just, it's not that it goes away, but it just stops. And all you know about the person can no longer change because that person is no more. So even if you didn't know that person directly, all the memories and all the facts and all the little details that you accumulated over the years, they can never be different. You can never form new memories. And so it is sad for me as a a video game fan. You know, I I grew up, I grew up uh, having Miyamoto and Iwata and Hiroshi Yamauchi with Yamauchi was the, the former president of Nintendo as three personal heroes of mine. And now only Miyamoto is left. And, and it is very sad and it is very strange because growing up, video games were for me such a formative part of my, you know, especially, you know, learning English. I told you many times how I learned English but playing video games. And Iwata being the man in charge, you know, this developer who was an excellent programmer and eventually became the CEO and president of Nintendo. It was such a journey for me to learn more about. And I had this crazy huge respect for Iwata. And now that he's gone, 
I'm sad, but I also am happy that I got to experience what the man did while he was alive. Even indirectly, not directly, you know, it's not that I ever met Iwata or I visited Nintendo. But as a fan, having an appreciation of his work and his dedication to video games, I feel like that's imp- that, that matters to me and that will continue to matter. So even if my memories of Iwata have stopped, you know, because that's, that's only so much I can know about Iwata at this point. But my appreciation will continue to grow and will endure over time. And so this week has been strange because I've been torn between this sadness and this happiness that that I didn't ignore what this man was was doing while he was alive. And I feel like as a, as a gamer, my life is better because of what he did. And I know that it's just games, right? Um, but even in that case, video games, you know, they can have an impact on people. And Nintendo games had such huge impact on me. And they made me, you know, know people. And, I mean, even you and me, we have a show together now because of video games. And Nintendo is such a huge part of this show. Yeah. And so, knowing that while he was alive... I got to be interested in this man makes me happy and but I'm also sad and I feel like this contrast is what made this week so special in a, in a way that I don't want it to be special but special in the sense that it's been so strange I'm sorry if I went on a bit of a monologue Mike <laughs> I just felt like I needed to you know, get all that out of my system now. Um, like, you know, you make you make fun of me because I'm emotional. I and don't you can imagine, make fun. And you I can, don't make. Fun. I know it's not fun in the in the sense that you you know it. It's one of my things. You know, I get emotional about the serious of things, but this is a serious yeah, thing, and and uh, I really wanted to remember to remember the man by, you know clarifying that I'm sad, but also I'm happy that, you know, what's the, what's the expression? Don't be sad because it's over, smile because it happened. And that kind of, that's always true for me. I don't know that expression specifically, but it makes sense to me. So when I, um, when I did text you, it was very uh, similar to me for when jobs died like the basically the entire setting was similar i was in bed i was tired um and mm-hmm. was about to have an early night was just checking twitter before i could sleep as i always do and then i saw some uh of you know what what i think of as video game twitter uh mm-hmm. started erupting basically mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know where the news originally came from. Like, I didn't see any official reports. I just saw people linking to Nintendo's press release that they had. Yeah. Um, Well, it wasn't really a press release. It was a notification of death, but it was what they kind of released to the press because Owata had been dead for, like, over a day, I think, before they said anything about it. Um, And then I was awake for, like, another three hours. Uh, Just reading and looking at things that kind of stuff like it's uh yeah it's very it was it was it was tough it was tough and it, but you know as in the exact same way as Steve Jobs and, and we make the comparison because there are many comparisons to be drawn uh in the same way like basically what what followed for a couple of days and still going on in some aspect now is people sharing fantastic stories about him, yeah. um, people that worked with him, people that met him in random scenarios. Uh, and one of the things that's prevailing, um, which is very different to Steve, is that every story is about how fantastic and wonderful and nice Iwata yeah. was. It's very different from Steve Jobs. Very different. There were some stories like that, but most of them were like, look at this crazy thing he did, and then we all just laugh about it. Uh, mm-hmm. But the prevailing sentiment 
of uh, Sitaru Iwata's life was that he was a just a wonderful person. And it is a great shame. It is a real, real great shame that this has happened. Because, I mean, I had no idea. I had no idea. I don't think anybody did. I mean, I know that he obviously had pulled out some events and stuff like that. But, yep. uh, and they said he was having surgery and that kind of stuff. But there was nothing that's happened in recent times that would suggest that there was a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, he was getting thinner and he skipped a bunch of V3 events and other, and other Nintendo events. But just four or five months ago, there was the uh, Dina conference. Yep. And then I think he appeared at an investor meeting for Nintendo in Japan. And we knew that he, that he had surgery and that there were problems but we all were under the assumption that it was getting better and so it wasn't like steve jobs it was like a huge lead up to his eventual passing and for steve jobs i think we all kind of feared that was going to happen sooner yep. rather than later but with yeah. Wata, we there all not, there was not that fear no, we were all thinking he's, he's getting better. You know, he's thinner, but he's appearing at events again. Um, I mean, and even, you know, I guess we were fooled into thinking it was fine because, you know, the, the puppet stuff at the E3. I mean... It, I was thinking this the other day. Do you think that's why they did it? Probably, yeah. Because yeah. he wasn't in the video at all, was he? No, no. No, just the puppet. No, but just, you know... When you see that kind of funny video, you, you tend to assume that everything that everything's fine, that it's just a, another Nintendo prank or joke, you know? But in reality, now that you think about it, it was probably a way to not show Iwata in public, which is sad, really. Uh, but I also, you know... I appreciate the, that dedication. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and I saw um, some people on Twitter saying that... Um, a few developers in Japan, uh, they saw Iwata like a couple of days be- before his death and he was working and he, ap- he appeared to be just fine. Uh, which is a testament, I guess, to, to the man's dedication to the company. I, I think that this was... Uh, I mean, I know I don't know, but I genuinely think that they didn't know this was going to happen. Yeah. Like that that something happened and he deteriorated. and Very quickly. Yeah, yeah. That that's my... I mean, I have no way of knowing this, but that—that's how I feel about this because uh, Nintendo weren't didn't seem to be prepared, really, no. because no. They, oh, they have like, like the the role is currently split between two people, isn't it? Miyamoto and and Takeda. Yeah, and they're basically taking over his duties for the time being. It, it seemed, you know, like again, we we will use the Apple comparison because there are many comparisons to be drawn. They were ready. They had yeah. a succession plan. And yeah. I'm sure Nintendo has a succession plan. All companies of this size do, especially if you're president and CEO of the big one of your biggest markets as well. Because he kind of held the two roles, right? Which is kind of a little bit complex. But um, if, if he had some sort of medical problem, you would definitely have a succession plan. So they probably have an idea. I mean, maybe one of the two that they have put in the role will become mm-hmm. president and CEO. Maybe they'll split the roles out again. Maybe they'll get somebody else in. Uh, but it, it it definitely seemed like it was a surprise to everybody. Yeah, usually, like maybe you don't have a a plan in the in the short term. Like, what if the CEO dies of a big company dies tomorrow morning? I mean, of course, you know it's gonna be crazy for a few weeks because maybe you have a long term plan, but not necessarily. But not an know, immediately it, actionable one. Yes. Yeah. No succession exactly. plan is immediately actionable. Like there'll be steps that will be in the interim until you're able to put the plan in place that you want. And Nintendo's interim plan was obviously Miyamoto and yes. I keep forgetting the other guys' names. This makes people terrible. Jankyo uh, Takeda. Jankyo yeah. Takeda. Because uh, I don't really know him as well which I think is a, gen- a general thing because he seemed to be a little bit more behind the scenes, I think. Am I right in thinking Yeah, well, that? It's, what, it's one of the long-time Nintendo. Yeah. Genio Takeda uh, is a video game designer. He's one of the long-time Nintendo employees. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but he's not a... You know, he's not Miyamoto. He's not, not Miyamoto, yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously they had that ready, you know. They, they would have that in place, but and I'm sure that they have an actual proper plan but you've got to have something you can put in place straight away at all times but 
Yeah, I mean, because, you know, if you were expecting it, then he wouldn't have been acting president and CEO. Like, yeah. you just, it's the same as what they, again, what they did with Steve, they, he stepped down. Yeah, I mean, uh, Miyamoto has always talked about the fact that he didn't want to be the president of Nintendo, and especially, I guess, not in this way. And even the the message from Miyamoto and Takeda uh, shared the following day felt really rushed. And like he had a, a message for the shareholders, and it clearly was a message that he wasn't prepared in advance. You know, because as much as it sounds, you know, awful, all companies have, uh, you know, obituaries, mm-hmm. uh, press releases ready when a president or a CEO or, you know, a big figure in the company dies. Mm-hmm. And to me, it feels like Nintendo didn't have such a plan in place, and which, which makes even more of a tragedy, you know, uh, because I, like you said, it, it must have been one of those crazy quick things that just happens and in 40, 48 hours you're, you're gone and uh, there is terrible. also the potential aspect that we're maybe not considering that we don't know if it's like different in japan probably yes like Good that point. they maybe just don't do this there i don't know maybe this is maybe we're putting a very western view on this um, yeah could be that that it's you know culturally it's very different about the way that you prepare for these kinds of things i don't know um but you know that that could be a a, a potential point of it yeah. like everything about it that could be there's probably a lot of nuances nuances that have been observed. Like, for example, the fact that the company basically was has been quiet for a week. Yeah. Especially um, on Twitter, they've yeah. been very quiet and yep. just sharing, saying thanks to their fans and sharing memories about Iwata. They put up a banner on the Iwata Asks uh, webpage, you know, the interview series. Yeah. Uh, they put up a banner so uh, to thank uh, Iwata for all the interviews. And I feel like we are all trying to rationalize, you know, to, to, to come to to accept the fact that it's gone. And whether it's finding how it happened, how quickly it happened, what's going to happen next. I feel like Iwata's passing left all of the Nintendo community in a shock. And I feel like the best we can do, I mean, we we talk about what Nintendo should do next. And we've been very critical of Nintendo's failures on this show and also what makes Nintendo great. But today I think we need to, we we owe it to Iwata to focus on his accomplishments and what he left us with, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, to tell you uh, to tell you a bit of a personal story that I never told anyone, Mike. Okay. So when I was 10 or maybe 11, um I wanted to write a book about Nintendo. And back then I didn't really know English. So my idea was that I could write like the story of Nintendo in Italian. Uh, because I thought that I could, you know, I was very good at um, the Italian, the, the class, at elementary and, and uh, we call it medium school. Um, I was very good at Italian and, you know, writing essays. Uh, I used to read a lot of books, and I thought I can write my own book about Nintendo. And so I, I uh, of course, I, I was buying a lot of video game magazines, and I, I think I couldn't find many Nintendo books at my local bookshop. So I just, and there was no internet back then, at least for me. There was the internet for other people, but not for me because I didn't have a computer. And the only computer that I could get access to was my mother's computer at her office. And so my mother works at a uh, uh, public office that uh, deals with uh, car registrations. And so she she had a, a computer back then with probably like Windows 95 or Windows 98, if it exists. I don't know. Uh, a very old version of, of Windows. And every time... Uh, so my, my mom used to work from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., and sometimes until 4 p.m. in the afternoon every day. And so when I when I le- when I used to leave school at noon or maybe 1 p.m., I I I walked to my mother's office 
and I asked her to used to ask her to to write on the computer, and I would use a, a WordPad or Notepad. What's the name of the writing program on Windows? One of those two, <laughs> probably WordPad. You will and go so, with WordPad. That sounds so I, right. And I, I and I just started writing uh, about Nintendo. So this book about Nintendo, I think it was called the History of Nintendo, um, uh, on our computer. And every day I would save the file on our desktop and ask her not to delete it. So the following day I would go there and continue my story. And I got quite quite ahead in the in the quote unquote book. And I um, and this was before Iwata's election to Nintendo president. So back then I was very young, but I already had an appreciation for the history of Nintendo as a very Japanese, very much a Japanese company, you know, culturally, and the evolution of Nintendo from a, from a card company to, to video games. And I felt like I needed to document Nintendo in a book. And I and I got so I I really made good, good progress on this, let's say a manuscript, that my mom even printed the file eventually and and uh, bought one of those fancy, uh, you know, like a like a plastic cover so she could put all the 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 the, the paper inside, and it and it felt like a, like an official thing, you know. I I made a, a cover page in WordPad. I'm pretty sure I even tried to draw uh, Super Mario with paint. <laughs> I don't remember. Anyway, I got I got quite ahead in this book, and I still have this sort of you know. <laughs> to, co- compared to my reviews on Mac Stories today, it's probably half of a review. Uh, but to me back then, it, it felt like a huge accomplishment. And the, the when Iwata was elected, I was so I, I I didn't see it happening, you know, because all the information that I had gathered about Nintendo was about the Yamauchi family, and and I and I and I was so like I I had the craziest respect for Iwata as a programmer, because uh, you know Hell Laboratory where he used to work. And his programming career, and Miyamoto, of course, on on the other side of Nintendo, but I didn't re- I didn't see Wata becoming president. And when he did, the entire I mean, it was a huge huge shock to the Nintendo community back in two thousand and two. So it was a uh, thirteen years ago. Years ago, it was the first uh, non-member of the Yamauchi family to become president of, of Nintendo. It was the fourth president of Nintendo, mm-hmm. and I felt like okay, my, my book is irrelevant now. Uh, I, I can no longer, I can no longer continue my 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 effort of writing a book. So I was very sad. My mom encouraged me to continue my book, and, and she was really she was really sweet to me. She's always en- encouraged me to continue my my you know to pursue my dreams. But my book couldn't continue because I just didn't know enough about Iwata, and at that moment. I put the book in the in the in the on the shelf, and I and I, that was the time when I I was buying even more video game magazines, and the internet started to become a thing in my in my in my house because we finally bought a computer, and I I just thought I don't want to write the book anymore, but I want to know as much as possible about Iwata, and so for the past thirteen years I've been a Nintendo fan. Uh, I, I I began my let's say my career as a Nintendo fan as a writer, but I continued just as a as a fan and as a gamer. And Iwata has always been there. And I didn't think initially when I was little that he could be president, but of course history has very much proven proven you know the ten year old version of me very much wrong. <laughs> and uh, I should probably go find that book, you know. Somewhere in my house, there's a book about Nintendo. Up until the point where Iwata was elected president, and then I just stopped. So. I bet that would make for uh, for fun reading. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I- Iwata. I mean, there's no other video game president like him. Such a unique combination of being a being a developer. Being a gamer and being a corporate person, and of course Iwata, you know, if you go 
this week on Twitter or anywhere on the web, you can you can find this, uh, any you know all sorts of summaries about his career. He programmed Balloon Fight. He began his career as a you know by just making games on, on calculators, you know, uh, programmable calculators back in the eighties. Uh, he started to work at uh, on the Famicom. Uh, eventually be- became the boss of Hell Laboratory, you know, the, the company, the Nintendo subsidiary that makes Kirby and Super Smash Brothers, and eventually became president and CEO of, of Nintendo. And even as president, he, every once in a while, he would, uh, he would reveal his programmer side and just... You know, he, he made a huge contribution to Pokemon Gold and Silver. Uh, the reason why you can access the Kanto uh, map in Pokemon Gold and Silver is that Iwata wrote the compression tools to make sure that this huge area fit in, in the cartridge of it's the It's probably game. my favorite story. It's just... Because it, basically, like, Game Freak and the Pokemon team couldn't do it. They couldn't fit Gold and Silver onto a Game Boy cartridge. So Iwata comes in and he shrinks it so small that they ended up being able to fit the previous game in as well, the entire Kanto map, because he's kind of like, he compressed it so much, they made space for basically a whole second game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just so incredible that he, one, he was the man that went in to do it, right? Because what was his role at the time? He was president yeah so he's the president like there was nobody else for some reason who could go in and fix this so he walks in sits down crunches that game so small that they can put two games in and one when they the entire team working on the game couldn't even fit it on one cartridge and what president or or ceo or even manager is able to sit down and write a compression tool for a game. I mean, it's just incredible. And it's not just that specific case, because years later, when uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee for the GameCube was set to come out, uh, Nintendo really didn't want to miss the release date. So what Iwata did is he went to the programming team, he sat down and he spent weeks there while being president of Nintendo to debug the entire game, fix the bugs, read the code, write down notes for, for the entire team. And, and, and the, the, the people who were there were just astonished. You know, is this really the president is fixing bugs with us? And the reason why Super Smash Bros. on the, on the GameCube shipped on time, it's because Iwata helped <laughs> debug the entire game. And that's crazy. That's just insane. And, and it, really, it really goes on to show why Nintendo was so fortunate to have Iwata as a president. Because it's not every day that you come across a person who not only is a good manager or is a good boss, but as a very deep and practical, not just a very deep understanding, but a very practical understanding of what is required from his employees. And to have a president who is able to not just say, you got to ship this product on this week of this month of this year because I said so, or because we got to make the shareholders happy. But to have a president that is able to realistically assess the status of a game and to say, yeah, we got these bugs, and I can help you fix those. <laughs> or maybe we need to move people from this team to this other team because there's this very specific bug in this game that needs to be fixed. And Nintendo, the, I, I, I believe the reason why they were so successful in the DS and the Wii era was because of this understanding of what makes video games great. And it's not just luck. It's not just luck. It's not just saying, you know, we got, we want to try this new console and, you know, we got lucky and we sold millions of them. But to be able to, you know, pick the technologies and pick the games and have this brand new message, Iwata played a huge role in, in saying we got to expand our user base to new customers. Otherwise, we're going to, we're going to, very much be in trouble. 
And that's what happened <laughs> with the Wii U and the 3DS, you know, many years later. But, you know, all the all the success that Nintendo had with the DS and the Wii, I believe it 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 comes from this very unique combination of a, of a boss who wants to try something new, try something fun, but also understand the practicality of what that means. And it's not every day that you that you have this kind of president or, you know, this kind of public face to a company. Iwata was very much public in saying we at Nintendo want video games to be different and we want them to be fun. And, you know, sometimes that's strange and that's weird and that's what makes Nintendo Nintendo in a way. But even in recent years, with the, with the problems of the Wii U and the 3DS, the many problems that we talked about, Iwata never lost that kind of passion or at least that kind of public appearance, you know, the Nintendo Directs, the Iwata Asks series, you could, you could watch one of those videos or read one of those interviews at, and you could always at least, at least once smile because I, Iwata put the fun in video games in many ways and his contributions, that's why this week is special. Because to read about all of his contributions and all of his decisions and all of his, you know, little known facts and, and, and stories all at once, he, he was really, he was really an amazing man, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and I think that's the takeaway from this week. There's plenty of stories, plenty of games we can replay, plenty of GDC sessions that we can watch. And I really recommend you watch those. Because Iwata was a game developer at heart. But he really was an amazing man overall. And and I mean, we don't work for Nintendo, so we don't know. We're not his family. We're just fans. But as fans, he really, really treated us well over the years. In spite of the problems in recent years, if you were to grade Iwata's Nintendo, seen from 2002... Up until today, overall, I think we can agree it's still fun to play Nintendo games in spite of all the changes in the video game industry. And when you play a Nintendo game and you still have that half of a smile on your face and you still feel that magic and you still feel and you still feel yourself thinking, yeah, there's people who made this stuff and it's kind of incredible. That's why Iwata was you know, amazing. Because he, he played a huge role in this. Yeah. Do, do you feel like a, like that captures how we feel? I think so. There was a couple of things that I wanted to just, just to bring up, though, like a couple of interesting articles and nice little things that I read. Oh, yeah. Um, so many so many good good things about him. And there'll be a bunch of stuff in the show notes, but one of the one of my favorite things that I read was a link that you sent to me by a guy called Chris Scullion, who was he used to work at Nintendo Official Magazine. And I got a couple of quotes from him that I really like. So he says, It's no secret that Nintendo's finances haven't been great of late, but it's a testament to Iwata that despite this, he continued to receive sterling approval ratings for the company's many shareholders. This was a man who cared so much about Nintendo that when the company announced a loss in 2014, he decided to slash his salary in half to do his bit. Please understand, Iwata would tell us, any time a game was delayed. Please understand. He was so charming and apologetic when he said that. When he said it, that, of course, we understood. We even turned it into a joke, saying, please understand on Iwata's behalf, any time Nintendo did something wrong. And the, uh, the all of Nintendo's accounts started tweeting today, um, and they were using please understand uh, in their tweets, which was just... I really liked it. They said like uh, one tweet with, and they're doing the uh, they they've got a little picture of Mario and Luigi and Iwata mm. were doing the directly to you yes. uh, thing, and it says please understand that you are the best fans in the world, and it's not you know I can't help but be really sad. Mm. I'm really sad, but it you know it's a shame that we've lost him. Um, but I do have a question that is, you know, it's it's less about the emotional part. And mm-hmm. just looking forward, uh, how much all business? Of an... You want to be all business? For, I want to for... talk about business now. Okay, is this a problem for Nintendo? From a pundit's view, because obviously we don't know, but 
How much of a problem is this? Is this a good problem or a bad problem? I guess from a, from an outside perspective, what I'm what I'm asking myself now, it's more of a indirect question in relation to that. I'm asking myself not if this is a problem, but what I'm asking is, does Nintendo have any water culture internally? Because when it, again, excuse me if I'm using Apple as a as a comparison here, but when Steve Jobs died, we we all felt like the maybe not every single aspect about Apple. And, you know, we can just look at Apple today and and just see how much it changed. But at least we knew that the basic idea of what Apple does could, for the most part, stay unchanged because of a very deep culture that Steve Jobs formed inside Apple. And so if, is this a problem for Nintendo? It seems to me like what Nintendo does is bigger than a single person. But that single person kind of embodied, you know, he was the representation, he was the public face to Nintendo's message. And it seems to me like Iwata still had a very strong say in Nintendo's future. Unlike Steve Jobs, who in the past couple of years of his of his life, you know, it didn't actually had a he wasn't working every single day, you know, at Apple. He wasn't making contributions to the at least based on the stories that we know. He wasn't going there and designing iOS or picking the right screws to use in the next iPhone. Uh, but he, he was a he was a he was a guide, you know. Steve Jobs was a guide, and Iwata not only is a, was a guide, but he also was a, you know, he was a working, acting, you know active CEO and president. I want to believe he's, he, he made the call to, to, to you know, make a deal with Dina to make mobile games. So we got to look in a couple of places for indication of what's going to happen. First one, Miyamoto, apparently, according to the press, at the, at the, Ninten- at the Satori Wata uh, funeral service, told the press that they are going to finish what Iwata started. So that I want to believe that's not just you know a way and like an expression like a, like a, a circumstance kind of kind of uh, statement, uh, but I, I it seems to suggest that the Nintendo NX project is already very much in motion, and Nintendo and you know Miyamoto and whoever goes in charge of Nintendo of Japan is going to continue that project. And also the Nintendo and Dina uh, project is moving forward and that will happen. So this immediate statement seems to suggest that the current strategy will be, you know, won't be uh, left behind. So that's, uh, that's positive, I guess. The bigger problem is, did Iwata establish a way of thinking inside Nintendo? So in 10 years, long term, you know, even five years when DNX is out and Nintendo is already thinking about what's after the Nintendo NX, um, will the people at Nintendo then be able to think about video games and about the industry the way that Iwata would have thought about the industry? I, I mean, it sounds... It's 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 hard not to be concerned, you know, uh, especially when when any big company gathers around a single identity of a person. It's hard not to not to say when this person is gone, what's going to happen. I don't know if Nintendo has enough of a of an internal culture as Apple does, but if we want to use Apple as a as a you know to as a frame of reference. After Steve Jobs passing, Apple changed a lot. And Apple is now doing things that under Steve Jobs would have been 
strange maybe to see. And also they had some, you know, missteps that maybe under Steve Jobs would have been different. Of course they would have been different, you know, because it was a, he was a different person. Tim Cook is not Steve Jobs. That's all we can say today. So will the next Nintendo president be like Satoru Iwata? Probably not. But will the basic passion and the basic motivation for making games be roughly the same? I believe so. Because, I mean, Iwata is not like he's making all the games that you play on the Wii U and the 3DS. And he was the, Iwata was a, the kind of president who would always say, great games come from a team of people, not from individuals. He would always say that. So it, it, at a very practical level, there's people at Nintendo who know how to make Nintendo games. Because in spite of all the problems with the Wii U and the 3DS, the quality of Nintendo games had stayed pretty much constant. You know, they're still amazing, fantastic games. So the people who make those games know their craft, for sure. But at, a, at an internal, you know, almost political level, will the next person be like Uwata? Nintendo will change. And what we need to ask ourselves is will they change too much or will they stay the same just enough that's a very very thin line very very subtle difference it feels to me like it's very much of an apple scenario in five years nintendo will be very much different from what it is today but the underlying sense of what makes video games and what makes Nintendo games actually Nintendo games, that will stay the same. And th that's just my thinking, but I really see a lot of parallels with, with Apple in this case. I mean, the obvious difference, though, is that Miyamoto isn't... Oh, sorry, uh, I Iwata isn't to uh, Nintendo as Steve was to Apple because Steve yeah, sure. started the company, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that's a key difference for the way that the comp, like, you know, the embedding of ideals, they came before him. Um, but my, but you, you could say that, that he's been with the, with the modern Nintendo since the beginning, yeah. because basically since the Famicom days, he's, been... he's, he's helped shape the company from there, yeah. but they will have their own traditions and things like that, that predate him, which is not the same for Apple, you know? Um, my, my feeling about this and, and where I see the biggest concern being is that Nintendo is currently in a state of rebuilding and change. Mm -hmm. And this may be too big a change to to occur during a period where the company is trying to find its way again. There is obviously the potential that, you know, not meaning to be whatever, but that this could be good for Nintendo uh, as a company. If you think about, if you take away all the emotion and everything as a company, this might be right for them to have a bigger change leadership-wise. Uh, for, to help them get out of the situation that they're currently in. Although, of course, it's been clearly indicated that they were going in that direction anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but my, you know, my the way that I try and draw that, uh, that the way that I try and draw that sentiment without trying to sound like just like a nasty person, which is not what I'm intending, is I've said this before that I believe that Tim Cook's Apple is a better company. Yeah. Um, than, than Steve Jobs' Apple. And that's not to speak to en any nastiness towards him, uh, but it's just it's a different company and a better company. And I, and I wonder how Nintendo will fare during this period of time because they are in right now a, a big transition time. Um, and I wonder if this is going to hurt that or if it will help them because there's such huge, like, pivotal, massive changes now in the company because yeah. they need a new leader, if that will maybe help everybody rally around the idea of change. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess the, the next year, the next 12 months will be crucial to, to Nintendo. And they not were just anyway, of, you know? They were going to be anyway, yep. but now even more so. Not just because of DNX, but 
I believe the next person in charge will have to oversee the Nintendo making mobile games project. Yep. And if that if that project is successful, if Nintendo finds a new larger audience on on the App Store and the Google Play Store, that person will have to make decisions in relation to that possible success. And I fear or maybe at the same time I'm excited about the fact that that success could profoundly alter the Nintendo we know. Yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I feel like the mobile games over the next year, actually, I think later this year, we'll see the first games. But the person who will be in charge when that happens, that will that will really shape the next Nintendo. And I, I don't know if it's good or bad now, because we don't we don't have those games. Uh but you know, that's uh, the, the next 12 months. Really, Nintendo was was pushing towards a change anyway, like you said. Now they're just instead of driving towards this change on a on a, on a family car, they're driving towards this change on a bullet train. Hmm. And now you know, we don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> How fast the change is gonna it's gonna approach? We don't know. Just you know, thank you to to Nintendo and Iwata. Or, yep. you know, we're going to talk about Iwata and Nintendo in the future always. But, you know, even this week, just, you know, I- I'm really thankful that, uh, that I got to play Nintendo Nintendo games during his, during his uh, presidency at Nintendo. He did some amazing things. And uh, you look at some of the accomplishments that he had and, and the times that Nintendo have gone through, good and bad, during his reign really shows the mark of an incredible leader, the yeah. Wii and the uh, DS um, a real like the really Nintendo's most successful time as a company um, was under his reign and that could never be forgotten This episode of Virtual is brought to you by Harry's. For many of us, shaving can be such a pain. It can be uncomfortable, but it's also uncomfortable on the wallet as well. You can get nicks and cuts and scrapes from razor burn if you're not using great razor blades. And also, a lot of the time, the ones that you're spending a ton of money on are not great razor blades. And this is where Harry's comes in. It's started by two guys who wanted a better product without having to pay an arm and a leg to get it or without having to jump through tons of hoops to try and get razor blades from the drugstore. Harry's makes their own blades. They decided that the best way for them to maintain the quality and to get the quality that they want is for them to actually own the factory that produces them. They have a company in Germany that they purchased who creates real fantastic blades and they've been doing it for decades. Harry's razors offer a real high quality shave at about a fraction of the price that you're going to find from big brand blades in drugstores. On average, an everyday shaver who uses Harry's blades will save $150 a year. They ship for free to your front doorstep and they have an amazing starter set deal where you can get a razor, moisturizing shave cream and foaming shave gel. Um, or firming shave gel, sorry, and three razor blades, all for just $15 as a razor. Your choice of shave cream or shave, shave gel and three razor blades for just $15. I love Harry's products. I love their brand. I love everything about them. They're super cool. They make me feel good. You know, I, I like these types of things. Like cosmetic stuff should speak to you, I think, because it's quite a personal thing that you're doing, you know, like running a razor blade over your face or using moisturizer every day. And I like to be able to have a, a company and a brand that I understand and deal with and know is like really focused on quality first and that's exactly what Harry's is you can experience a clean close comfortable shave for yourself with Harry's go to harrys.com and if you use the code virtual you'll get five dollars off your first purchase that's h-a-r-r-y-s.com use the code virtual at checkout for five dollars off and start shaving better today thank you so much to Harry's for their support of this show so, Mike, I, I still have a few links for you this week. Great. So, uh, Pokken Tournament, you know, the Pokemon meets Tekken fighting game. Still such is... a bad name. It feels like a code name. Like... Pokken. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> it's not a good name. Um, uh, it's out in Japan in the Japanese arcades. It's, you can go there and play the game. But according to the, to, the, to the company who makes this game, it's more than just a fighting game. It's like an action game for Pokemon fans. And if you go watch some videos, it really does look like it's more than, the, you know, like a basic Tekken game with Pokemon characters and moves. Uh, you know, 
it's the kind of weird game <laughs> that I kind of want to play, uh, but, but I don't have, unfortunately, I don't have any access to Japanese arcade machines. So, Is it coming am, out on consoles or anywhere else? I don't remember. I, I want to believe so, but I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, it would make sense on the Wii U, but, you know, we never know. Yeah, it 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 looks it looks fantastic as a, as a Pokemon fighting game. Still. It just graphically looks great. Yeah. Um. I don't know why they just why I don't know why the Pokemon company just ref, straight out refuses to make a Pokemon for the console. Oh, we we talked about this many times before. Mark. Like, why do it's they? Not gonna happen. <laughs> because it needs to be portable. No, I mean, doesn't. maybe with the NX, you know, if with this uh, combination of portable and home console that everybody's talking about, maybe the next generation will be will be finally, you know, your your moment, Mike. Yeah, I just don't know why they wouldn't do it. Yeah, but Pokemon looks interesting, uh, but I'm not really. And I mean, they can say what they like, but this is a fighting game at its core. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just positioned slightly differently, and, and I just don't really like those kind of games. So tell me what you think about Angry Birds 2 coming. This is one of the weirdest announcements that I've seen in years. So, you know, there's like a hundred Angry Birds games on the App Store. I looked this up. I looked this up. This is the 12th Angry Birds game. Okay, 12th. Okay. Which is crazy. Crazy. This is the first official, like, sequel. You know, there's Angry Birds and then all the spin-offs games. This is Angry Birds 2 coming after the... 2009 debut of the original Angry Birds on the App Store, which used to be a paid game for the yeah. iPhone and the iPad. We can only assume that this game, which is launching on July, thir- uh, July 30, so the end of the- this month, is going to be uh, free with in-app purchases game. I mean, free-to-play. has to be a free-to-play game. Considering all that Rovio has done on the App Store, you know, Angry Birds... Go, Angry Birds, this and that. They are all free-to-play games. And, you know, the app Angry Birds has, in my mind, failed to become essentially Minecraft. You know, the, the, the iconic game of this generation. The new Super Mario, in a way, is not Angry Birds, it's Minecraft. On every, you know, on any console, it's Minecraft. But Angry Birds, at least in the first couple of years, had a serious shot at having a chance to become the, the new game, you know? And instead, it kind of faded over time. And the revenues of Rovio are kind of kind of mirror that insane rise to popularity and fame and progressive descent into, you know, uh, smaller download numbers and revenue and employees at Rovio even, which is unfortunate. They had to lay off a lot of people. Um, so now Rovio finds itself in the position of uh, you know, another developer from Finland, uh, which I believe is Supercell, uh, they make, uh, what is it called, Clash of Clans? And that game and other similar games are dominating the App Store. And that has to be, you know, that has to be bad for Rovio because, you know, another developer from the same country, uh, born around the same time on the App Store, but one... It's like at a, you know, a very quick rise and then they kind of burned out. And this other one continues to grow with a lot of revenue and a lot of money and because it's a free-to-play game and it, and it, it kind of exploits people, <laughs> people's attention and, and, you know, iPhones and iPads in a different way. So I'm kind of curious but also afraid to see what Rovio does with Angry Birds 2. So... I did a little bit of digging. Mm-hmm. Um, Angry Birds 2 was previously released in Australia under oh. the name Angry Birds Under Pigstruction. Okay. Now, having a look uh, on Wikipedia tells me that the gameplay, because my, my, my feeling about this is, if this is the 12th Angry Birds game, what makes this Angry Birds 2, right? So you would expect that it would be a fundamental change that makes it different from all of the different ports that they've done for different tie-ins and stuff. So this is from Wikipedia as the description of the gameplay. Just as in the original Angry Birds, players use a slingshot to launch birds at nearby structures, but they got to choose which bird to shoot. 
The main targets are pigs, and they can be defeated if directly fired at or through other strategies. For example, the bird hits a structure where the pig is standing, making it fall. Uh, spells are also available as extra cards and can be used just like birds. And if the bar on the right top of the screen fills completely, you'll earn an extra card. You may find a golden pig that can... In- so, right, this is terribly written. Uh, but basically, the idea is it seems to be pretty much the same gameplay-wise, but now you choose the bird you want to use, and there well, are also you, spells. Yeah. You choose, which... and there's spells, and maybe multiplayer. I'm looking at the iTunes page of the game. Yep. Multiplayer mode, game center integration. Uh, there's boss piggies. So mm-hmm. there's like bigger pigs that you can defeat. It looks very much like a like a fancier Angry Birds with better graphics and effects. And of course, it's free to play and you can buy pile of pouch, sack, chest, barrel, and trolley of gems yep. for money. So, a chest of gems on the Canadian App Store is 12 Canadian dollars. You can also buy a trolley of gems for 58 Canadian dollars. So, free to play, of course. Yeah, we'll see, Mike. And you think this could be actually like Angry Birds 2 with a soft launch? You know, the kind of thing that they do, they release games in smaller markets? This is what is being reported. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I first time I hear about this Angry Birds game. Me too. And the the art the artwork is kind of similar to the promotional material for Angry Birds too. Could be, could be. Wouldn't be a surprise. So we're looking at a if this is true, we're looking at a free to play game with you know a bunch of new things, gems. Could be a success for all we know. Could be very successful. We'll see. Angry Birds is still everywhere. I go to I go to buy clothes and I see Angry Birds t-shirts for kids and mm-hmm. I see Angry Birds tablecloths and uh, you know kitchen accessories little toys and statues everything is as Angry Birds I just don't think kids care <laughs> necessarily about Angry Birds No I think a lot of brands attempted to jump on it before mm-hmm. it went away but you know there's a movie coming right there's a movie coming that they have a lot of tie-ins, you know, with the with the media industry. I don't know. I don't know. I, I it's kind of a sad story that Rovio kind of had this crazy rise to success and then like a progressive, not a, not necessarily a downfall, but you know, it's not over yet, man. It's not over yet. It really be, isn't. Could be a comeback. Could they be got a, a movie coming out. That movie, I, I expect, will will do good money, and that could potentially propel them further than ever before. It's May two thousand and sixteen uh, that comes out. I'm telling Movies you, they're, like they're this, gonna make they're gonna make the Angry Birds Minecraft spinoff. Eventually. And you know what else is coming in twenty sixteen along with a movie? Mm. Angry Birds Lego. Yeah. See, I think that twenty sixteen is going to be a big a big uh, boon for Rovio. Comeback. Yep. Could be. And I don't think Angry Birds 2 is going to do it, but I think a movie tie-in game along with the movie will be a big sell. We'll see. We'll see. We're going to download the game and see mm-hmm. if this is the beginning of a new Angry Birds era. I, I doubt the game is going to really give us much, but I'll be playing it just for the sake yeah. of it. So last two links, Mike. The first one is an early look at YouTube gaming. So it said that Twitch meets YouTube alternative coming from the YouTube team this summer. Eurogamer has a video showing what's going on with YouTube gaming. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, actually. As we talked about before, uh, on YouTube gaming, you will you will have live, sh- live streams. So you can see people and, you know, channels and, you know, big publications playing video games live. Uh, but there's also going to be this front page, which is customized to your, your own interests. So uh, games that you add to your favorites will be showcased on the front page. Uh, the peculiarity of YouTube gaming is that you can you can subscribe to individual game pages and a game page kind of collects all the different types of videos about a game, whether it's a live stream or a let's play video or a review. And you can also subscribe to channels. So PewDiePie, uh, other YouTubers, channels like IGN or Eurogamer or Polygon. Um, and then you can kind of collate all of these 
uh, all of this content in the front page and you can still there's two sidebars one for the games another for the channels and you can kind of explore and watch all these videos there's a, really a lot of stuff going on and it's interesting that much of the interface uh, if you take a look at the video seems to be automatically generated by YouTube itself uh, in the video there's a every time there's like a big screenshot or a thumbnail there's like a little label at the bottom that says automatically generated by YouTube so of course Google is doing you know machine learning and that kind of stuff to make YouTube look prettier to gamers uh, I, one thing that caught my attention in the Eurogamer video is the 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 really predominance of live streams and it really goes on to show just how much YouTube wanted to have Twitch uh, and also let's plays those videos have become a category of, of 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 itself really because there's let's plays and reviews it's like two different things and it's also kind of weird as the as the Eurogamer author which I believe this Eurogamer journalist Mike is your your famous lookalike you know, the Eurogamer person that I showed you a photo a while oh. ago? This is the Eurogamer <laughs> Mike. He really looks like you. <laughs> What's the guy's name? Um, let's see. Let's see if we can take a look at his byline. Um, I believe it's Chris Brett. Could be. Yeah, let's see. So Chris Brett, Eurogamer. This is the, the, the Mike. Has to be the Mike. Oh no, no, it's not it's not Chris Brett. Oh, it's the man. other guy. It's the other guy. Uh I found it. I found him. Hold on. So uh, the other guy No no it is Chris Brett. There's a video. There's a video on Eurogamer with the he has a tattoo on his left arm. He really does look like him. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna put a link in the chat room. We can have a link in the show notes, you can judge for yourself. Uh but I mean I don't know, man, because you go to his his page and it's not that doesn't look like the same guy. If you go to his no, actual... no, but I found the image, and it, it really is a, an uncanny resemblance uh, with with the Mike we know and love. And it, you know, I mean, take a look in the chat room. There's a link to a JPEG photo. Uh, it's really, you know, the beard and the glasses and and the the eyes. I mean, yeah, I don't know if that's him though. Yeah, I don't know. That's the question. But still, there's a person at There is somebody at Eurogamer. That's somebody, a Eurogamer that looks kind of like who, you. Who very bears much like some you. resemblance to me. No, it's not just some resemblance. <laughs> I mean, show this photo to your girlfriend and tell me what she says. She won't. She'll just say what I say, which is that some resemblance. Mm, no, no, Because he no. doesn't look the same as me. It's not the same, but it's very alike. Anyway. Uh, I was saying that this Eurogamer person, who we don't know if it's the Mike, the, the Mike alike or not, um, noted in his video that um, it, there's a very, very subtle difference between le a Let's Play video and a review. Because often, you know, for most people, and essentially, as they say on the internet, millennials, for teenagers, basically, Let's play video has become the review itself. You watch a person do the let's play and have a bit of commentary here and there, and you basically watch the review of a game. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, when YouTube gaming launches, what it does, and 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 if people kind of migrate from Twitch to YouTube gaming. I I don't believe there will be like a sudden migration from one service to another. Uh, because you know Twitch is really established in the in the video game community, but we'll see. You done mocking me? Oh yeah, I was done a, a minute ago. Okay. So that the video itself is not very well prepared. Like it's not good. Well, you should you should have prepared more, Mike. I don't think that this is the same guy. <laughs> okay. Because he's not even wearing glasses in his photo on. On Eurogamer, which doesn't make mm. any sense because the, okay. the guy that you're okay. showing me the picture of maybe he's a friend of of the guy. <laughs> Last thing today, because I need, to, I'm just gonna go now. I'm done. Uh, this is ridiculous. Um, I am putting Eurogamer Mike into the show notes. 
Thank you. That's a thing, just so you know it's in there. Uh, Shenmue is now the most backed um, Kickstarter video game project. Wow. And it's not done yet. Yeah, it's the most backed now. Wow. That didn't take long. No, I mean, it's it's, it's gone in for most backed game project, right? Yeah, I, I feel like that's going to happen more and more as big companies kind of release, quote-unquote, release games on Kickstarter. We're going to see the new record becoming, you know, like like an, like an a very common occurrence, I think. Yep. Yep, so it's third in games, number one in video games. Yeah. Because hey, what's beating to... it is the Ouyar and Exploding Kittens. Yeah. Congrats to Shenmue and Sony, I guess. Yep. That's a, a lot job. of money. It's a lot of money, but not a lot of units, not a lot of backers. It's like 60,000 backers. It's not a lot of actual copies of the game, but still, it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We don't know if it's enough money. We talked about this before and all that, but still, it's a lot of money. Right, okay. I found the person. Okay, what's... It's... what's... <laughs> You're still thinking about this person, okay. It's Johnny Chiodini. Ah, oh, yes. This is the guy you're looking for. Chiodini, I think yeah. it's... Yeah, there yeah. are there are many similarities. There are many, many, many. See? I told you it wasn't that guy. There's a, a picture on Google. Uh, he has a black cat. Yep, that one is a lot like me. Like a lot That one is a lot like the beard yeah. and, you know, I the believe hair. you have the same, the same sweater, you know. So where is this? He lives in, in London, I expect. You somewhere. need to meet this person and take a picture so yeah, we can... He lives in London. I'm now following him. I'm about to follow him on Twitter now. I want to see if he recognizes this. Like if he understands that we are in fact <laughs> twins. And then are you seriously following this guy? I just, I just pressed the follow button. So He's let's see what happens. John, John Hay on Twitter? Yeah. John Hay? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we'll see. Keep us posted on your on your quest to meet your to meet long my... lost brother. Yep, I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep everybody updated. Uh, Thank you to Thank what you, occurs man. with my mystery twin. Okay, perfect. I don't wear glasses like that anymore, though. My glasses yeah, yeah. are now round. Whatever. Just just saying. He needs to. He needs to get new glasses. I'll let him know. Okay, I'll send you him can, a link you to can, mine. You can point him to. Um, Oh, what's the name of uh, Warby Parker? <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, guy, here's a, here's a Warby Parker link. Here's my code. <laughs> yeah, please, Michael, let us know how it goes. I will. I will this guy's know. worse a lot on Twitter, by the way. So that's that's one, I guess, one big difference between me, mm-hmm. that's between one me and my mystery twin. Huh? One, one difference. You don't, you don't swear much on Twitter. I don't never swear on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I swear true. in real life, though. So. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. So there we we'll go. We'll <laughs> that wraps it up for this very, very peculiar episode of Virtual. If you want to find the show notes for this week, go to relay.fm slash virtual slash 45. Thanks again to Harry's for sponsoring this week's episode. If you want to find us online, I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Federico is at Fetici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci. <laughs> <laughs>